I begin, uh, as I usually like to do, with a story. And this story takes place approximately five weeks ago on the corner of Court and Warren Street in a prominent section of Brooklyn. It's a tree-lined street. There are brownstones, very low buildings, very habitable, wonderful place. There are three or four persons sitting on a sidewalk cafe having coffee before they go to work. On the corner, a couple stops to fight. The woman is approximately 40 years old, short, shapely, plump, bleach blonde hair. The man is approximately 20 years old, bare-chested, bare muscular, the kind of muscles you get from pumping iron in jail. They are both, I know, ethnically Italians. The, man said, the woman says to the man, you're a piece of shit. I should kill you right here. I should kill you right here. No, I should have someone else do it. She puts her finger to his face. I should have someone else do it. The man is like pumping his muscles. He's turning around. Christina, Christina, you can't threaten me like that. Because if you threaten me like that, everyone in your house is going to be dead, beginning with you. This goes on, the people having caffeine, we're doing our caffeine. This is like 8.30 in the morning. We're doing our caffeine and we're watching this at a distance of about 10 feet. This goes on in which the threat of a contract hit passes for, back and forth between these two persons at least 10 times. Finally, as the writer, I just put down my cup and give them my full attention. <laughs> and Christina, you know, so this is a piece of shit she gets. She has her bag and she goes back into her house. He crossed, the man crosses the street. And when he finally crosses the street, the, the, those of us sitting there, we laugh out of kind of release of tension because it looks for a moment as though someone's going to be killed. In America today, when two people stop on the street and say, I should kill you right here in 1995, you tend to lend some credence to that <laughs> these days. I mean, maybe 10 years ago you didn't, but in 1995 you lend credence. Someone's going to produce a gun and kill someone. Man walks across the street, we all laugh. He goes, what? What? What are you fucking laughing at? That's my Brooklyn accent. What are you fucking laughing at? He comes back and he says, he passes by me because I'm too big, I'm about a head bigger, maybe 25, 30 pounds bigger than him. And he goes to the shop owner and he says, fucking laughing, I'll burn down your shop. I'll have the cops arrest me, but I'll be out by the end of the day. So you reckon this is a bad imitation of Robert De Niro, kind of. Going on. So, you know, we, we calm him down, he leaves. Later on, he comes back to the shop owner and he apologizes. He's as gentle as a lamb, he's apologizing. He says, Listen, you know, Christina, turns out Christina's his sister. <laughs> Christina has caught him in the house, you know the word stooping? Has caught him in the house stooping some neighborhood girl. Christina's a good Christian, besides the fact she's going to put a hit on her brother. She, she's a good Christian. And she's upset by this. And so she tells him she should kill him on the corner of Court and Warren, where the brownstones average like $600,000. Um, and it's quite a drama. Well, I live in Brooklyn. I've been living in Brooklyn for 10 years, all the 10 years I've been in New York. It's a very interesting place. I live in Italian ethnic Brooklyn, uh, near the docks. Uh, I live within walking distance of St. Mary's Star of the Sea, which is a church which was uh, the parish of Al Capone. I live near the docks where Al Capone came of age, and someone's going to dispute that, I know, but we'll talk about it after. Um, I live on near the docks where Al Capone came of age 
as a leg breaker. Um, I also live at a very short distance, and if you know Mr. Gallo, I mean no offense. I live near um, one of the relatives of Joey Gallo, who was from the Colombo uh, family, the fellow who was assassinated at Umberto's Clam House in 1972 and made that restaurant famous, kill, killed over his calamari. So as you can see, Brooklyn is a very interesting place. Um, I live maybe a, a mile, a half mile from Walt Whitman's, Walt Whitman Park too. But as you can see, the terrain of the Brooklyn I have told you is a beautiful place, but the terrain itself is marred by historical violence. All the iconography of the neighborhood is identified by violence. Um, all the iconography is identified by former mobsters. And moving into the neighborhood as a writer 10 years ago, there was much for me to see and much for me to hear um, walking among the people who live in the vestiges of that past. The young man on the corner I've watched now um, from the age of 10 to 20. So I've seen him as he sort of mutated from a cute little boy into a bad imitation of Robert De Niro. And what has happened to him is that he has basically inhaled, ingested, and taken on the historical character of the neighborhood and its sort of ethnic violence. And I've watched, he goes in and out of jail quite regularly. And he has become essentially some sort of throwback. You know, so we're walking along with our briefcases, essentially going to, you know, to get our six-figure incomes. And this guy is there in the neighborhood, sort of somehow a reminder of what the neighborhood always was. As a writer and an editor, and, uh, and a writer of editorials and uh, occasionally an editor of newspapers, what strikes me about violence is a murder is, is the banality of it. How it no longer upsets people. How it no longer, barely even me, upsets me anymore because there's so much of it. Um, and the, the young man who goes from 10 to 20 has ingested, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of real murders. Um, maybe even millions of synthetic murders via television, not to mention the iconography of his local neighborhood. The when I talk about the banality of murder, I mean the constant bombardment of it, it enters into our, ever lo into our locution, the way we speak to our children. I could just kill you. You broke that lamp. I could just kill you. I could just twist your head off sometimes. I could break your neck. You know, you only hurt the ones you love. If you bite down on that locution, I could just kill you. Sometimes you say it, some people say it frivolously, they say it in joke, you know, they're annoyed. You know, I could just kill you. I could just kill that Brent. He's just such a jerk sometimes. But it, it comes into our very person, into our language. You bite down on that locution, you can sometimes just feel the blood running down your throat. It's that much into us. Um, from where I stand, I think that every act of violence now leads directly, to, leads directly to murder. Every act of violence now leads directly to murder. Um, a man of my size, um, I was always, I think, conscious of bumping into people, of harming them uh, on the streets. As some of you who know my work know that I wrote very early on about being mistaken as a, crim for, as a criminal on the streets of New York. It was a constant concern to me, uh, especially since some of the people who were frightened were arms carriers. <laughs> But I've always been concerned about that. But my second concern has always been to control my temper because at this point, there's only, there used to be 20 years ago some gradient between a fistfight and murder. Now everything goes directly to murder. So we're seeing a rapid, a speeding up, an intensifying of the violent impulse. 
Um, part of this has to do, as a couple of my colleagues have talked about, has to do with the fact that we're, we're fed images of violence constantly. And I don't want to be as, as naive and polyanalyst as to say, well, if the media stopped showing those violent images, people would be calmer and, you know, and more loving and caring. But the fact is that we are in, we're in a world where the local world is pretty much disappearing and that we're on this web that we just heard spoken of. And the only way to, to uh, well, one of the ways that uh, events are fed into that web are by the dramatic nature. Uh, I'll give you a, a part example from New York. For a few years, I worked as a newspaper editor at the Times before I became an editorial writer. I was an ed a newspaper editor the, on the deadest time of the week, which is Saturday morning, was when my shift began. My shift essentially started by me sorting out the murders of Friday night. <laughs> there was a pile of fax paper on the desks. I would sort them out. There was a single murder, um, double murder, maybe triple murder a simple shooting, and you just go through them in the morning, and you sort them out. And the ones that were multiple, somehow unusual, you would essentially put into the newspaper. The rest you just scraped off into the trash and went on about your next, in your next day. When I talk about the banality of murder, that's partly what I'm talking about. This kind of a crude kind of resistance you get to the shock of seeing the dead. I could just kill you. You hear people say it on the street in the shopping mall to their kids, I could just, ki just, I could just kill you. Uh, I wanted to just kill someone one time, and it was maybe for a tenth of a second. I wanted to kill Calvin Trilling. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, it was 1984, I was having an interview with Calvin Trilling. He just put out a book called Killings, strangely enough. And at that, uh, just prior to that interview, I'd had a, br a younger brother who was murdered. He was 22 years old, he was a drug dealer, and one of his former clients came up, um, drove up on him, ambushed him with a, a 44 Magnum and shot him six times. Have you ever seen a Magnum hole in the back of a person's back? It's like that. He just went boom, 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 boom. And I was in, in the throes of dealing with that as a journalist, as a person and as a journalist, so I, I decided to go and do my work. So I went on my list of interviews and I went to see Calvin Trillin. And he was always clever and jocular. And he was saying, you know, when, when someone is murdered, a noise is made in their lives that wouldn't ordinarily happen and gives their lives a different resonance, you know? And it was one of those lines that writers say to interviewees on the book tour. And that line struck me, just went in my head, started bouncing back and forth. And I looked at him, and I had my tape recorder running, because he, he was talking about murder. And I said, you know, I had a brother who was murdered just a few months ago. And uh, I kept that tape for the longest time because Calvin, who had been a very composed person, suddenly dropped his fork and said, my God, my God, my God. And I remember this event, for me, was the first time that I had heard my grief, really, expressed in the voice of another person. But when he made light of murder at that minute, I felt murderously toward him, you know? And that was, by proxy, feeling murderously toward the person who had murdered my brother. So there's this ghostly impulse that's running through us all the time. It's in our language. It's in our, it's in our conduct towards one another. It's in our jostling on the subway. And I think that the cycle 
is in itself getting faster, 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 and faster. Has to do with the availability of the gun, obviously. Um, as a newspaper person, I guess, and an editorial writer, I have to make some predictions. Um, I think that murder will become ever more common in the next century. We are already the most murderous country in the Western world, but murder will become ever more common in, in the next century. Uh, I think that it may take another full century before we cycle out of it and begin to understand that we can't tolerate it at this level or the level it will get to. I also think that you will, in the intermediate future, 20 to 50 years, uh, here for the reinstatement of public execution. As some silly moralists among us think they can construct a morality tale for people who are prone to violence. But in fact, as we have more public executions, death becomes more, we become more inured to death. De murder becomes even more banal. You know, we begin at some point to walk over the bodies and never even stop. 